Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. Final seconds here in this NBA season. The respect from those two. And that's it. It's over. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Lakers take down the heat. A big second quarter. They blow it open, turn it into a 30-point game, and then just play out the string. PK, that was a poor performance I thought we might see from the Lakers on Friday night. I was a little surprised it got to Sunday, but LeBron and the Lakers clearly didn't want to miss or mess around with a Game 7, and they, it was a complete blowout in the first half. I think it was more the heat running out of gas that so they had enough in the tank on Friday, and then they didn't have much left over, and so the Lakers still had a whole heck of a lot of gas left. And LeBron. At 35 years of age, if you just narrow it to him, he certainly had and has. It's amazing. You know, if you can find a way, if you don't support him, to divorce yourself from the politics, you cannot argue. I mean, what a phenomenal basketball player he is. It's certainly just a sight to watch to see him do his thing out on the basketball floor. I feel bad for those folks who can't do it, but that's their choice. As far as between those lines of that basketball floor, man, he is just sensational. Really, you can't say enough about his ability to play the game of basketball, particularly when you factor in the age when guys are supposed to slip. You must have a real discerning eye to notice any form of slippage, because I certainly don't. It didn't look like much slippage. He looked dominant. I mean, he just looked overwhelmingly dominant. And to do it at this age after coming into the league so young, and you know, Locke's got the theory on minutes, and it, it largely holds up. A, a few guys beat that curve, Stockton and Malone did, uh, but LeBron's just shattering it. I mean, he's well beyond the point where he should be fading, and he isn't, not even close. That uh, He went for a Jordanish moment, though. His, uh, I don't know, comment, speech, whatever it was after the game, you know, everybody listing everybody who wanted respect, Rob. Um, you know, the GM, the coach, the organization, the fans. And I want my damn respect. I'm like, we literally have to go back 25 years to find anyone to compare you with. <laughs> You're the guy. I think you got it, LeBron. Guess he doesn't see it and hear it the way we do. You can find one or two things out there and then convince yourself that's the truth. Uh, yeah, I don't really get caught up in that. To me, it's on what's on, goes on in the floor. Well, the rest of that stuff is just, it's just noise to me. Well, they're going to be the favorites next year, I would assume. That's championship number 17, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. The single setback. He gets the ball. He gets hit. I don't think he got there. It's going to be close. It's going to be oh so close. It's Seahawks football. He did not make it. Madison got the handoff, tried to go over his right guard, and did not get there. Russell, look out. He's going to fire inside, reaching up, making a catch. Does he hang on? He does. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown, Seahawks, and it's Metcalf who reaches up and makes the catch. Seattle. Rallying, blowing the lead, rallying again. Russell Wilson, the offense, bail 
out that defense one more time, PK. That's your Super Bowl pick right there. They're still undefeated. A perfect 5-0. and Yeah, 4th and 10, and they throw the deep ball, and they get it. It was a sensational last-second drive there. He's amazing. There's just no doubt about it. And I think they've got enough. You know, it comes down to one game. You can't guarantee anything when we get to that point in a few months. But for now, he's just really fun to watch, and I think they have the best team in the NFC. As long as they've got the ball last, there's no reason to doubt them. Now, if they don't have the ball last, that'd be a little nerve-wracking. I'd continue well, it would be for any team. Continue to not have a lot of faith in that defense. Props to Cody Barton on stopping that fourth down. I mean, they made yeah. a phenomenal play. That was a big one. Yeah. Offense in the position. You don't need to stop every possession with that offense. No, no, that offense is uh, is lighting it up. They're averaging, I think, 34 points a game, and the offense is just putting up huge numbers. They improved to 5-0. and The only other undefeated team in the NFC is the Packers, who uh, 4-0 and didn't play yesterday, so they got to buy this week. Uh, the other undefeated teams, the Chiefs fall. They were rolling in the first half, and then they came out in the third quarter and nothing. A scoreless third quarter, and the Raiders win the fourth quarter and win the game 40-32. to Derek Carr thrown for 347 yards, and Raiders have a little speed. That was old school. Just chuck it deep and go get it. And they had multiple guys. Henry Ruggs, baby. Yeah, Ruggs went and got it a couple times. As they're trying to build this program in Vegas, that was monumental for them. 40-32 the final, a really good win for the Raiders, who are 3-2, and two, and they're a game behind the Chiefs in the West now. The Steelers are 4-0, undefeated. They pick up a win. They beat the uh, the Eagles. How'd you like to be a rookie? I'd and love score. to be a rookie. <laughs> You'd love to be a rookie. And score not once, not twice. Chase Claypool, four touchdowns, three catches, and he scored on an end around in the first quarter. A four-touchdown game. You don't see those very often. Yeah, that's, that's sort of incidental that Roethlisberger tries to go to you and they call your number on the end around. It's more it, it's more about the team that you got the ball in the end zone that much. And to see that the Pittsburgh Steelers, the first time they're 4-0 since 1979, was a surprise to me. I would have thought they would have been able to accomplish that. It doesn't really mean anything. It's a nice start, obviously. It's a great start. You can't get better after four games. But I would have thought that with the because it's been an illustrious franchise that they would have done that before, and that that was a surprising statistic to watch or see, I should say. Yeah, I had no idea when they uh, when they uh, told us that. I had no clue. You would think with the Super Bowl champions they've had, the teams have lost in the Super Bowl or the AFC title game, that somebody would have been four zero. But turns out it's been uh, forty years. The Ravens are just a half game behind him at 4-1. and one. That's uh, not particularly surprising, I think. The Browns, however, are 4-1. and one. That's a little surprising. They beat the Colts 32-23. Last time they were 4-1, and one, Bill Belichick was the coach in Cleveland. So it's been a while. But a, a good win for them over the Colts. Both teams were 3-1. That was a good win. They picked off Phillip Rivers for a pick six and ended up winning that game. Monday Night Football, it's the Chargers and the Saints. Michael Smith will not play. Gotten an altercation with safety C.J. Gardner-Johnson in practice over the weekend. He's been ruled out for the game. Throwing punches at a teammate, never a good idea, PK. Uh, no, it depends on how good you are, though. He's really good, and he's still suspended. He's the best in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, suspension versus firing is a big, big deal. 
Fair point. Dak Prescott out for the year. Compound fracture and dislocation. Weird that that happened on the day Alex Smith came back. Mm, I guess so. Alex Smith returns, gets sacked six times, uh, completes a few passes. Those able to get out there on the field as uh, Washington has an injury. Kyle Allen got knocked out. See how long he's out for. Uh, planning on a Monday Night Football doubleheader tonight. It's not happening. The Denver-New England game's been moved back, and they moved a bunch of games around. So we'll just have the one traditional Monday Night Football game tonight with the, uh, the Chargers and the Saints in New Orleans at 6 o'clock. And the Falcons fire their head coach, Dan Quinn. They're off to an 0-5 start. The Jets, the Giants, and the Falcons. There's your three teams at 0-5. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. Powell lined up in the slot. There's the quarterback run. And Wilson with his sixth rushing touchdown of the season. With 8.29 on the clock, they've used up more than six minutes. Algier into the end zone. A little punctuation. Now that's how you finish off the game. BYU gets the win over Texas San Antonio. They beat UTSA 27-20. The Cougars improved to 4-0. Didn't look anything like the first three. They weren't nearly as dominant. They had penalties at the wrong times. They had turnovers. They had fumbles they lost but got back but looked sloppy in the process and wasted downs. It was not a glorious victory, PK, but it beats losing to Toledo and South Florida and Hawaii, so they are 4-0, and now they can learn from a win instead of learning from a loss. Well, the way I look at it is that it's very difficult for a team to play at the level that they've been playing at. Now, none of that matters when they take the field Friday. It's what you do at that particular time. So this should heighten the awareness of, guys, we need to make sure we take care of all the finer points of the game, which means ball security every single time. You as an individual, whether you're the quarterback throwing or the running back running and the receiver catching, that you need to value that thing. That's just one example. And so they'll find ways to get better. So... Uh, yeah, he's somewhat stressing, but at the same time, it's hard for me to imagine teams playing at their peak every single week. There's going to be natural letdowns, you know, and you got this upstart San Antonio team coming in there. Obviously, they had all the emotion because they have everything to gain and you have nothing, uh, they have nothing to lose, basically. I mean, they lose the game, obviously. Whereas you, now you've got to maintain it because you're expected to win by 35. And if you don't win by 35, oh my gosh, you're a fraud. You're just not really that good. So you're sort of in a no-win situation unless you won huge. And then if you won huge, oh man, they just played another garbage team again. This is getting ridiculous. They finally play somebody. Can they schedule Corner Canyon maybe midweek like you guys do in the soccer to add an extra game? So if you look at it that way and take a step back, which is what I'm going to do until I see otherwise, I can live with this, and now you have an opportunity. Houston is... I'm not sure how good they are. They've only played one game, obviously. But but we know that their brand name is better than all the teams that they've played, with the exception, potentially, if you want to argue, Navy. Navy looks like they're having a down season this year. But Navy's been pretty good. And obviously, they play Houston and all that stuff. And so, Navy beat Temple. Yeah, those those two teams. But they're still having a down year relative to what they can Correct. achieve because we've seen them achieve as recently as last season, an 11-win season. So I'm not sure these other programs uh, you know, consistently can do that. Well, I realized La Tech did it last year, 
but Navy has been pretty good. So to their standard, they're down. Houston's a brand name. It's not the biggest brand name by any stretch, but it's a better brand name than they've played here in the last three games. So they got an opportunity if they come out and win that ball game, then what happened last Saturday really doesn't matter. I think if you could order up a wake-up call, and we don't know that that was a wake-up call, but I think a lot of Cougar fans hope that's a wake-up call. That was a wake-up call to get a team focused and eliminate sloppy mistakes, handoffs that looked like the running back and quarterback weren't exactly running the same play. You know, if this is the wake-up call, then this is a good time to have it because Houston probably should be a bigger test. So have the wake-up call now. I did think a couple of those UTSA players, you brought this up on TV last night, that they have, uh, you know, they're sitting in Texas, right? They ought to have, they're only a decade old, so they're not getting the, they're not getting the top-tier guys, they're not getting the second-tier guys, but even the fourth and fifth-tier guys in Texas have some talent. And that, uh, when they made the quarterback switch and they brought in uh, Lowell Narcisse, how do you say that? Narcisse. Narcisse. Uh, he looked pretty good. He did. He threw it pretty well. 17 of 20. He ran pretty well, yeah, and he had the. He was really highly recruited and had injuries in LSU. high school. They did a good job of telling that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. multiple injuries. That, that's the one thing that I would be concerned about most coming out of this ball game is that his level of effectiveness and efficiency you would take just about every single time, and that's a lot of that's on BYU. And so they had some big sacks at the end, and that was nice. Uh, what was it, one kid, Summers, is that his name? Yep, Dave Summers. Had a huge sack. So I like the fact when things got close, you could see BYU bear down a little bit more, and they made plays on both sides of the ball. That was a good sign. But I'd be a little concerned about the effectiveness of this kid coming in because he had a sensational game, and that's something you're going to have to get better at. Coming off the bench, he was 17 of 20 for 229 yards. He had a nice 14-yard run, too. That was an eye-opener. So BYU's 15th in the AP poll, 13th in the coaches' poll as they go to Houston for a game Friday night. Both teams are undefeated. 4-0 BYU versus 1-0 Houston. DJ and PK. Ellinger in the shotgun. He's got it. Sooners twist up front. He has time. Lob toward the end zone. It's intercepted. Trey Brown. You could unhitch the wagon. Oklahoma wins in four overtimes. A Red River showdown for the ages. Oklahoma blew a fourth quarter lead. Texas working some of that magic they had against Texas Tech with a couple touchdowns in the last three minutes to get to OT. But this time... They're beaten in quadruple overtime. Both teams now two and two. Uh, just what you were saying about Navy PK. You know these are teams with really good brands. This isn't a magical year for either one of them. But it was a very entertaining game. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I feel like I got a much better read on the national college football scene. Yeah, now right. because I'm watching games. I mean, not just snippets of games, but literally games that I normally wouldn't be watching as much because I'd be focused on the Pac-12. And then when you get into Saturday night, there's always uh, Pac-12 and Mountain West football being played. So you're bouncing back and forth uh, between those games if uh, the Utes and Cougars aren't playing 
And so I look at it and I just see, man, Alabama's good, but they that game that they had with Lane Kiffin's team, Ole Miss, was crazy. To me, it just seems like Clemson is the most dominant team. Now, I haven't seen Ohio State take the field at all, so I'm just talking about the teams that have played. Yes, Alabama uh, wins 63-48. I thought Nick Saban's uh, walk-off interview, you know, it was pretty gracious. He said all the right things. But then I read a quote later about maybe they had our signals. And I'm like, what, are we getting into Spygate here? And then his linebacker said, no, they definitely had him. He did, Saban did say on the field, he said, it was like they always had the right play for the defense we were in. You know, if we're blitzing, they're throwing a screen. If we're dropping eight, they're running the ball, you know. And they always seem to be in the, then later in, it went into the whole signals thing. Uh, that was not the only shootout in the SEC. I don't know what happened to all that glorious SEC defense, but I'd rather watch 63-48 than uh, 13 to nothing or 6-3 or whatever. Uh, A&M took down Florida 41-38. This conference might beat itself up, PK. Well, it depends on what team I'm on. If it's the Sun Devils winning 3 nothing, they'll take, take 12 3 nothings. So, uh, Nine, Yeah, 19 nothing. There's a famous Sun Devil game find glory in the team that you're rooting for if they win. Otherwise, I get your point. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think the office, offense is there around the country. I mean, you have to score a bunch of points to win games now. And Bronco identified this several years ago, that this is the trend and where it was going. And so he said that if you hold a team to 24 points, he thought you should win a ball game. And I was surprised he said that from a defensive perspective that he's coming from. But yet, that's where we are with these offenses. Missouri upset LSU 45-41. And no defense the whole game. They're just going up and down the field, right? Big plays, touchdowns, whole bit. And then at the end of the game, Missouri's defense, fourth down, and they have a goal line stand at the one-yard line. And they get it done. The team that does seem to have – well, you mentioned Clemson uh, and also Georgia. Those are the two teams that won games. Georgia beat Tennessee 44-21, and the defense scored for them in that game. Georgia and Clemson are the two teams who probably the defenses can look at the film, and it's not a horror show the way it is for everybody else. Okay, we'll see what Georgia plays Alabama this week, just how much uh, how good it is. Yeah, right. Uh, Mike Leach and Mississippi State, 24-2, losers to Kentucky. There's a team. Of all the teams that get shut down like that, and then afterwards he's, he's ready to uh, – we're going to have to check our group and figure out who really wants to play here because any malcontents, we're going to have to purge a couple of those. Somebody's getting run. Six interceptions later. Well, that's typical for Leach. You lose, it's the player's fault. You Costello throws for 8,000 yards. Leach is brilliant. I mean, I, I love the way he frames it. I mean, we've seen this act over and over again with him. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. NLCS starts today. LCS is underway. PK, you like the Rays pitching. They got some awfully good pitching, beating Houston 2-1. An early homer for Altuve, and then a whole lot of nothing. Blake Snell, a strong start. That's what they do. You know, they won the Yankee game, the deciding game 2-1, if I remember, too. And I can recall that game. First of all, I must say, I think all playoff games should be played in San Diego and Los Angeles. <laughs> it's uh, a good look, right? <laughs> yes, it really is. Uh, great stadiums and just great weather. And you get the sun out uh, for the beginning of the game, which is cool. Uh, but uh, they won that game 
two to one uh, with a home run for to beat the Yankees. What was that on Friday? And they showed the ninth inning, and they have a pitcher uh, camera looking at the bullpen. And Castillo's pitching. He finished it. He finished it off last night too. And in the bullpen warming up, you got Snell and Morton. They're their two best pitchers. So to that point, it was the most important game of the season. And those two are warming up to potentially come in. Neither of them pitched in the game. The most important game in the season, you don't have your top two pitchers pitch. That tells you the depth and quality of your pitching staff. So the Rays win game one. Game two is this afternoon at 2 o'clock on TBS. And then game one of the National League Championship Series, Braves and Dodgers, 6 o'clock on Big Fox. So you got a baseball playoff doubleheader today and a single Monday night football game. That's good. Yeah? Yeah, good. You were a Jersey guy right across from uh, New York. So you had to be, what, maybe 20 minutes from Yankee Stadium? Whitey yes. Ford. That's a big name. Legendary name. Yes. Uh, won more World Series games than anybody else in Major League history. He won 10 World Series games. He won six World Series championships, 11 American League pennants, 16 years with the Yankees. He was 91 years old. He passed away over the weekend. Huge name in baseball history. Yeah, if you're winning that many World Series games, I mean, obviously, you are a legendary pitcher. Uh, I mean, I didn't see him pitch, but I certainly knew about him. You knew that name, and with the nickname, too, that made him stand out even more. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL takes the first half lead, and then in a big old gut punch, they lose to Vancouver again. Disappointing loss. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but kind of a fluky own goal. And then the guy who beat him last time beat him this time, too. Cavallini with the game-winning goal. Five and a half million dollars they paid to get him from a club in Mexico, PK. We were talking about money last week. Talking about money again. Whitecaps beat RSL. Still within shouting distance of a playoff berth, but they are below the playoff line with one win, one draw in the last seven games. It's an ugly stretch, and they got six games to figure it out now. Yeah, I really appreciated uh, your man Dunny on the broadcast because he was telling it like it is big time. He was mincing no words, which, you know, I appreciate that when somebody sees what they see and we see it and is willing to say it, and he clearly was willing to say it, which then in turn, as we go forward, if he sees something with the officiating and he wants to comment, in my mind, he has a ton of credibility because he's not approaching the officiating errors from a homer standpoint. He's approaching them from the opinion of what he sees, and that what we saw. I thought he was very... Uh, critical critical analysis which I have zero problem with tell me the truth as you see it and yeah, that was uh, he was laying it out there on what is wrong and what needs to be done and all that type of stuff where are the goals going to come from and where's the confidence going to come from you know the interesting thing about the goal is that um, you know you do the zoom interviews leading up to a game right yeah. and so Freddie Wars, the coach, says, I think we – and, and the, the weird thing was because they're playing with the midweek games and all that, so it's a Friday afternoon Zoom. It was like 1230. And we talked to a couple players and then the coach. And he says on that, and I'm on that, and he says, we've seen a couple things. Uh, you know, we think we have some ideas on uh, – because he was asked about the lack of scoring, where the goal is going to come from. We have some ideas on how we might be able to score. and uh, But he doesn't want to say any more, right? You can't give everything away. So then – 
a few minutes later, as it works out, it's like 10 minutes later, he's got the call with the broadcast team, where typically coaches will say a little more. And so I asked him, I said, well, you just told, and I'm on the broadcast call too, and I say, well, you just told us, you saw some things, can you tell us what they are? And he kind of looks at us like, can I trust you guys? You're going to be yapping about this. Because obviously, he couldn't say it on the earlier one, have it in the Salt Lake Tribune and the Deseret News on Saturday morning when everybody's, you know, reading stuff online. Saturday morning? Yeah, what do you mean? Come on, man. You old, that's old school. You can have it on that afternoon. Yeah, they could have They could have cranked it out. There wasn't much turnaround time, but you're right. They could have seen it online Friday night, right? And so, <laughs> so he tells us how there's a score. And, you know, there's a certain, there's a certain randomness, right? And people are running around and guys see opportunities. It was like a football play the way it was drawn up. He was talking about crosses in from the right side, the ability to get in between the center backs. I mean, he basically said exactly how they scored. Almost how they scored twice, but the first shot went wide and then the second one went in. I just find it uh, unusual that in the run of play, you can predict exactly what's going to happen like that. But then it didn't pay off because of the second half anyway. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Utah football availability today. We're going to hear from the quarterbacks, Cam Rising, Jake Bentley, battling for the starting job, and Kyle Whittingham, the head coach. That's scheduled to start about 8.20, Kyle at about 8.40. The players first, and then Kyle. So we'll have a half an hour of Utah football for you coming up. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9 o'clock. Coming up next, BYU football, your take on game number four. It looked different than the first three. What does that mean? We'll get to that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. It's our friend Sam Amick. Any timetable as far as what this next season will look like? I mean, right now, they're kind of targeting that Martin Luther King, January 18th. You know, that's what they're hoping for. If you did January through September, maybe that's the plan. I do think they're learning some things the hard way right now. Finals ratings are down. and There's a bunch of reasons, but it seems pretty clear right now that October is not really working out so well for the NBA audience and really should. So that stuff worries them. It's not even just plans in terms of discussions. It's reams and reams of binders and folders and proposals and scenarios and PowerPoint presentations we're trying to game out for every possible scenario. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Question of the morning, BYU football. Were they exposed or was it just a bad game? Things to ponder as you wait for your 4-0 BYU Cougars to play the Houston Cougars. UTSA showed they're not all that, or they just screwed up. PK, I think when the coaches go through this, there's a checklist of stuff, and I think both those things are going to be true. Largely, I think most importantly, it was just a bad game. The fumbles, I thought a couple of them were, well, three. They only put three of them officially on the stat sheet, but there were, there were clearly four. And I thought three of the four 
were on BYU. One of them was UTSA making a play. I guess you can argue you should always have better ball security. But still, UTSA punched out that fumble on the opening drive. But the, the part, exposed part, and this is where I wonder if, uh, if somebody's on to something. The, the Cougars, and I know they've had injuries on the offensive line, but that was the first time we've seen somebody really get in the backfield and get after it. And just half, well, more than half an hour, 45 minutes ago, we were playing Kalani's postgame quotes, and he said, you know, UTSA's aggressive. They lead the country in uh, tackles for loss for a reason, and they're going to get in there. But that's the part, if you want to go to something where BYU is exposed, that would be the one thing I would say, okay, that's a problem. Now they got to figure out how to solve it going forward because other people are going to see it on the film. But I thought most of the stuff, the – the, the jumping off sides, the dropping the ball, the guys not all seeming to be running the same play at the same time. That's a bad game, and it's all just on you. And we know they're better at that stuff because they were better at that stuff in the first three games. I don't think they're as good as they showed the first three games. Not the number 14 team in the country? Ah, that's the, those polls, I don't get into that crap. That, I, don't even, I don't even look at that. I don't pay attention to that. I mean, what what is the 14th team in the country? Nobody knows who the 14th best team in the country is. When I say they're not as good as they played, because I don't think anybody is, to play to that level, to win that easily, that dominant in three games, no, I don't think any team is as good as that over the course of the season. I think you're going to have games that are going to be struggles, and you're going to have to find ways to win. If you just take a snapshot of, say, Clemson and North Carolina last year. Well, man, wow. Clemson, you're not that good. Yeah, right. (laughs) Well, they weren't that good that day, and I still won the game last year. Still find a way to get it done. But they weren't at their premium. They weren't at their best every single week. So, no, I don't think BYU is as good as those three wins that they had, those three dominant wins. Probably you'd have to go back and look. Might be as good a three-game stretch in terms of dominance that they've ever had. Um, and I'm sure some nerds out there can recite others. But in recent memory anyway, certainly under this uh, coaching staff, they were that dominant. And to expect them to maintain that week after week, I think is misleading. And well, probably not going to happen. Well, the numbers bury out. I mean, 49-8, to eight, I can guarantee you. Yeah, you'd have to go back a long way to find a stretch where they were outscoring people by 41 points a game over three weeks. But you know, I think there's a difference if they hadn't covered, if they had won 38 to 10, and it's not the same, and they didn't cover the 35 point spread for whatever that means. Uh, it's still, but but this didn't pass the eye test. I mean, Cougar fans were nervous watching this game. Like, when are you going to play better? Oh, when they had to, and they did. <laughs> when they needed it, they did. All right, the people are lining up on Facebook, on Twitter, on social media. You can call us, 855-340-ZONE. You can hit us up with the, uh, the audio. Use, uh, use your phone. Use the our app. Mic. Use the open mic. Send us your takes. Uh, BYU football. Exposed or just a bad game? Emma says it was a game that helped them see what they need to improve on. Not even an undefeated team is perfect. I'd say it was just a bad game. 
That's your point. Clemson. They roll off these undefeated seasons, regular seasons. Play. I got, obviously, they got beat by LSU last year. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they weren't perfect even while putting together a double-digit win streak. Yeah, and that's just one that came off the top of my head because uh, I've been talking about how I think right now Clemson's the best team that I've seen play and how I've been focusing more on these other conferences because we haven't had the Mountain West and Pac-12 playing yet. So it's given me the time to watch these other teams a little more intensely rather than just catching highlights or dipping in and out of games. I've been able to sit there and watch full entire games. So that's why I went to that Clemson. I mean, you look at Oregon last year. They're rolling. They go down the desert, get beat, and then you look at Utah, and they were rolling, and then they go to Santa Clara, and Oregon smothers them when they lost to the Devils, and the Utes had a relatively easy time beating the Devils here at Rice-Eccles. So, you know, if you're going to draw snapshots from individual games, it could potentially get dangerous on both sides, for that matter, because we're pumping up BYU big time, and uh, we're not letting it play out a little bit. But this is what we do. This is, this is part of fandom, which I don't have any problem with that because it's all fun. It's fun in games, right? So you draw these outrageous conclusions. We hype them up, and I got lit up on Twitter. You're overhyping them. Now you're ripping them. You're two-faced. Yes, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> and the thing that separates me from you is I admit it. <laughs> Every single one of us is a hypocrite. There, there, I haven't met anyone who isn't a hypocrite. I never met Mother Teresa. Uh, of course, I'm speaking of your mother, not the Mother Teresa. Teresa James I'm talking about. Uh, so we all are. But that's the fun part of it. It's just it, it's fun in games. It's not, it doesn't really matter in the real scope of life. And we all do that. We jump to these outrageous con- conclusions either way, which I, I'm totally fine with. Why not do that? Why sit there and be calculated over everything? You don't need to be calculated over sports if you're a fan. If you're coaching and in the business and all, that's another story. But for the rest of us, we're just having a good time with it. Matthew says we're not having a good time. Look at all the haters out there. At least BYU's playing the same people, saying who they played would be saying the opposite thing if it was the Utes. They wouldn't care who they played. That's really what it comes down to. It's Utah and BYU. BYU had sure. a close game, so the Ute haters are coming out. Of course, yes. And if it were the Utes, the Utes would be like, hey, we're 4-0, who cares who we played? <laughs> well, yeah, if you if you extrapolate what would be a normal conference schedule, a normal season schedule, I should say, that at 4-0 for the Utes, they would have had to play a conference game. Right. But suppose they would have beat SC last year, because we did the same thing last year the other way. Wow, they beat teams, they beat BYU. I can't even remember who they played last year outside of BYU. Uh, but they really didn't beat anybody, and then they go up against one big dog, and they lose. They're not that good. Come on. I'm sure BYU fans were doing the same thing. It would have been earlier in the season because we wouldn't have had these games where they were missed and all that stuff as we've had here with the Cougars. So we would have been uh, in September around the 22nd, I think, 21st, 22nd, somewhere in there, uh, where we said, ah, the Utes aren't that good. And then what do they do? They steamroll the next eight games so yeah they were good that's the great thing about it is we'll get to see and it'll eventually prove out and for BYU we'll see how good they are and because I think that Houston at that minimum Houston Boise Santa State will give them 
pretty good tests, right? We don't. I don't know how the Aztecs are going to be. They'll have a coaching change. My guess is, just off, uh, off the top of my head, they don't fall that far. Well, you can look at say, well, wait a second, Navy won 11 games last year, and look how far they fell. Yeah, but 90% of their offense, they had a one-of-a-kind quarterback, and he's gone. So at least I can understand that. Whereas San Jose State, maybe they don't continue the levels that Rocky Long brought them to. But at least this year, there shouldn't be a massive drop-off. Plus, it's at the end of the year, and we'll know full well exactly where they stand. But those three games, which one of them's coming up this week, should give you an idea. And if they win them by uh, just the slimmest of margins, uh, so freaking what? You know, you'd take all three. Now, if they should win easily, well, then maybe you're on to something. Maybe it's more of towards the other three than it was towards Saturday. But the great thing about it is we'll get to see it play out on the field for ourselves. Well, I think that's why we're all looking forward to Friday night because those three games are the ones that jump out at you. And Houston, after a shaky start, uh, they clearly have athletes. They clearly have team speed. <laughs> so if BYU's defense, and you know, 20 points is their quote-unquote worst game of the year, they'd only given up 24 in the first three games. right? That's where you got to come back a little bit you know, to normal. You just... You don't hold teams to eight points a game all year long. But if the defense plays well against this Houston offense, if they control this speed for 60 minutes and don't give up you know, a bunch of big plays, you're probably going to give up a couple, then we'll know a lot more. Uh, yeah, I think we'll know a lot more either way. I think, we'll, I think with each game, you know a lot more. That's the progression of the season. So I don't there, think there's any ifs involved. I think we'll know a lot more. There are a lot of uh, a lot of people going to the quality of the schedule. Aaron, the Cougars haven't played anybody, so when you struggle at home against a high school from Southern Texas, it's probably most accurate to say they're unproven and overhyped at this point. And he's got nine thumbs up for that. People lining up behind Aaron. What was the first part of that? They haven't played anybody. So when you struggle at home against a high school from Southern Texas, that's the buildup. Yeah, I mean, it's not a high school. Team. I know. Hold on. Sonny Detmer? The... No. That's ridiculous. Tyler. Tyler's more to the point. Exposed for sure. I can't wait until they fall flat on their face and bring Zoob Nation back to reality. <laughs> that's the greatness of this rivalry, man. There it is. The intensity is still just as strong as ever. It is not. Is not. What, what am I looking for when you have something that uh, isn't as good? It's not subsided. Subsided. Thank you. That was the word. Yeah, that was exactly the word I was looking for. It is not subsided at all. DJ PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Brian Fisher from Athlon Sports. Granted, the level of competition hasn't been great, but where are you at on the BYU hype train? I'm on the bandwagon. I don't know if I'm uh, right in the front seat, but I'm definitely closer to the front than a lot of people. I mean, look, we understand the level of competition and factor that in, but um, it's all about playing who's in front of you. And, and BYU has done that, you know, quite well. You know, yes, the focus is always going to be on Zach Wilson and, and the quarterback position and throwing the ball around, but you know, I've been very impressed with the they, they have certainly taken care of business and, and done what they've needed to against some very different uh, style offenses. And, you know, really up front, um, you know, one of the strengths of the team has always been, you know, in the trenches. And, and I think they're, you know, certainly one of the better Power 5 teams uh, in that respect. And, and we've seen that so far this year. 
Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ PK brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the morning, BYU football. Exposed or just a bad game? Kenny says, there's a third option, guys. UTSA's good. More mistakes by BYU, but that game had something to do with UTSA being good. I don't have any problem with that. I think they were underestimated for sure. And the way I look at it, it made sense to me last week. I meant to ask David Nixon this, and I didn't, and I regret that, because David Nixon grew up in Texas and oh. played his high school ball in Texas, and we have him on, what is it, on Wednesdays, and he works yep. for BYU TV, obviously. He played linebacker at BYU, so he knows of what he speaks when he talks about high school football in Texas, and we've heard about it. I mean, Sports Illustrated did a story a few years back about the number of quarterbacks that had come yeah, into Texas. I remember like that. 20-something. They were yeah. all over the place. Guys you didn't even realize were from Texas. And I've said this, you know, I've been to Texas for work probably 25 times maybe. You know, back in the day, they used to go there all the time when they had this 16 team and then with TCU in in the conference and non-conference and whatever. So I've been there many times. And I talked about how you fly in to the Dallas area and you're going over these mini stadiums when you look out and you realize they're all high school fields. So they ought to be able to – just get a few, I hate to say this, but hand-me-down type players. And that's just awful that I say that. But I'm Diamonds in the rough, PK. That's some, what you meant. Diamonds some, in the rough. I've got some good news for you, PK. They're playing two more Texas teams right. in the next two weeks. You can ask that question a couple more times. That could you be want. your Texas State question. You know, if you think it's too obvious with Houston, you can hold it for Texas State. Right, but I thought San Antonio, aside from Houston, the yeah, Texas States of the world, I thought – UTSA it's in a bigger city. I get what you're saying. Is it is a a better program? And the reason why I say that, go back. Uh, whenever Todd Graham was playing, the Sun Devils played UTSA on a Friday night mm-hmm. down there, mm-hmm. and they had the, the the Devils were decent. I mean, they're usually halfway decent anyway. But it was a good game. I remember it was watching a dog it. fight it right was. down to the end. I I'm remember. Thinking, oh my yeah. gosh. They were, they were playing in the Alamo Dome. Yeah. They, they got a, a facility. It's not on campus. Now they have it on campus, but in those days they didn't have it on campus. They were playing in the Alamo Dome, and I was surprised at how long that game was competitive for. It was really good deep into the game. And the thing is, San Antonio, my, um, I, I have family there. My wife's grandmother was there, and she's passed away now, but we went there a few times. You went to Jonesboro, Arkansas. I went to San Antonio. Um, but we went there a few times, and I had to drive around a little bit, so I saw a little more of the town than I had when I had been there for sports. And it's pretty big. You know, you can kind of look up the numbers on it and all that. But I was reading a thing um, when I was there about how Austin's only like an hour away, And that whole area in between Austin is all filling and sprawling in. And if you're from California, you've seen this happen a million times, right? I mean, you hear about L.A. and San Diego, and you know about Orange County. But the truth is, what used to be fields and groves of uh, citrus, it is all filled in. There are so many people. There are so many elite high school players coming out of that area, and not just those two towns, but all this sprawl in between, and that's what's happening there. Texas State has literally been built in a town that's halfway between Austin and San Antonio. So to your point, there are 
all these schools. Morgan Scally told me once, I was asking him about, you recruit Houston and Dallas, but you don't go to San Antonio. He said, David, in Houston... And this he was called like, you by your first name? He did, actually. Because, <laughs> and you know what it is? You know what it was, too? And this is 100%. And he'll, he'd deny it because he's being nice and all that. But it was really, I was asking a stupid question, and I needed to be straightened out. That's what it was. But he was being nice about it. He says, David, in their two biggest classifications, which there, I think, are 5A and 6A, but whatever, in their two biggest classes, there are more schools in Houston than there are in the entire state of Utah. And that doesn't count the three A's and the four A's that can have really good athletes, too. He says there's no way that you can send one or two coaches down there and make the contacts meet all these players and their coaches and recruit them all. It's impossible. There's so many people. There's so many schools. and There's so many athletes. So I think all of that goes to, uh, you're right, PK. I'm dumb and have to have it explained to me, but you, you just intrinsically understand. Well, you take a kid like Keithy. He wasn't recruited by Texas. He told us that to our faces. Yeah. And look he, at what he's done. Yep. So why wouldn't uh, UTSA have I, a kid like Keithy? I guess I that's the thing is that when you know the Big 12 and the SEC recruit that area really hard, and then on top of that, the Pac-12 and the Big 10 are going in there and, and grabbing kids, and then you've got a whole second-tier group of five and so I kind of view UTSA as being on this third tier, right? I mean, they're, they don't sure, have any of the history are. of tradition of Houston and SMU and Rice. I mean, we can just keep going. And yet they, I mean, they had some guys who passed the eyeball test, you know. So it's, they don't have the brand name because they're brand new. But BYU has got to clean up the stuff where it just looked like guys weren't running the same play. And guys were losing the ball way too easily. You know, the first fumble looked like it got punched out. Now, you can still probably have better ball security, keep of it against you your can. body, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But a couple of them, it just was, the ball was just dropped. On the, on the bad handoff, there was nobody there. It's just the quarterback and the running back weren't running the same play. They, they didn't think they were running the same gap there. I'll tell you why, when we come back, why I still have plenty of faith in BYU. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.